Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss uh, talking to you from On the Money. I'm the president of Embassy National Bank, and uh, Embassy is the proud host of this show. Uh, We created this show in order to help small business people navigate the minefield in which we all work in, and um, so we will bring on uh, guests and topics that we think are uh, good to talk about to help small business do better. And So today we've got, uh, it's all surrounded by financial, and uh, I think we've got a lot of good things to talk about. First, we have uh, Deborah Scott, and she is a registered rep from Vinings Financial Services. She's going to talk to us about uh, retirement planning and uh, uh, insurance and things like that for the small business. Hi, Deborah. Hey, Joe. How, How are, are you? Good. You okay? I think so, yeah. Good, good. Then I've got uh, Allison McLeod, who is a partner of her own firm, McLeod Tax and Consulting, LLC, and she focuses on uh, small business as well. Hi, Allison. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Are you okay today? Doing great. Good, good. Um let me start with uh, Deborah. Deborah, why don't you tell everybody what you do? Okay. And um, and then Allison, I'll give you that shot, and then we'll just start having a conversation. How about that? Awesome. I'm Deborah Scott. I am with Vining Financial Services. Triad Advisors is our broker. They only work with hybrid firms. That means we can do fee-based planning, as well as commissions, depending on the need of the client. And we are independent. There is no uh, reason to recommend one product over another. Um, everything is non-proprietary. So we're able to really take the client's best interest to heart. Good, good. Where are you located? We are located in East Cobb off Lower Roswell Road. Okay, okay. Just and, across the river. Okay. And uh, it's viningsfinancial.com is your At website. Karen Vining is okay. the principal. Okay. Vining's is uh, not our location. Okay. But it's viningsfinancial.com. Yeah. Okay. Good. Correct. And uh, Allison, how about you? How'd you get in this business? What do you do? Well, Joe, I stumbled into it happily, um, but I've been a small business accountant for about 15 years now, and I love what I do, help small business owners who are in growth mode, understand their financial situation and understand their tax situation, Mm -hmm. plan for it, project it, uh, look at cash flow planning, and how to lower their tax bill. Okay. Um, You just started your firm, right? I did. Okay. And where did you come from? Uh, you, you mean other firms? Yeah. Uh, I've worked at Moore Colson in Marietta, been at Thrasher here in Atlanta, and then I have also worked for a firm uh, in my hometown of Augusta. Okay, good, good. Deborah, what, what did you do prior to um, Vining Financial? Well, for many years, I've lived in Atlanta about 30 years, and I have a journalism degree, believe wow. it or not. And I moved to Atlanta and became a paralegal and worked as a litigation paralegal for about 17 years. Also did insurance defense and some corporate stuff. So I had exposure to a variety of contracts, legal strategies, and insurance particularly. And I uh, found myself at a lunch and learn when I worked for a small firm. And a guy was talking about our 401k plan, and I realized 
that I had basically cost myself between two or three hundred thousand dollars by not being appropriately allocated. Wow. So I was very concerned and chased him around after the meeting. <laughs> and he said, you really need to be in this business because mm-hmm. your interest is very intense. So um, it was a good career change for me. I worked for a general agency. I worked for Wachovia back before it was Wells Fargo. I went to CFP school, um, University of Georgia, go dogs, and um, have been independent now for three years. Okay, good, good. When you work with a company, what do you try to help them with? Well, it really does depend on where they are right now exactly what I do. So the first thing is to gather the information from them to review documents and see really what they have in mind. Because most entrepreneurs are so busy making widgets and being focused on marketing their particular product or specialty that they neglect the actual business side, the number side. And Allison can probably tell you more specifically about those profit and loss statements than I can. But I review their whole situation and try to make sure that they're not vulnerable in areas that they hadn't considered. Because of my legal background, I particularly can identify where they're vulnerable in a buy-sell agreement, for example. Um, In most cases, the vulnerability that I see, people think that they might need life insurance, Mm -hmm. but it never occurs to them that they could be disabled and affect their partnership that way because partners go into business because they have strengths or compatibilities and not necessarily want to be in business with that person's spouse or child. Right. So um, it may be something they haven't considered that um, a disability due to an illness or the way people drive in Atlanta, an accident, you never know. So... um, I see that as a major area of vulnerability that often is not addressed. Now, do you, is any firm too small to have a retirement plan or an insurance plan? Probably not. I mean, if you're small enough that it would be devastating to lose money, then you are a good candidate for mm-hmm. planning. Okay. Um, I'll get back to you with some technical stuff, but um, Allison, uh I think when people, small business people, hear the word CPA, they think taxes. Should they hear something else other than taxes? Um, that's a good question, Joe. I think they certainly should. Um, you know, all businesses of all size have some sort of tax problem. Uh, and they're looking to their CPA not just to put numbers on a page, but also for the planning that goes into uh, making sure that they're compliant and making sure that the tax bill is as low as it can be legally. But, you know, they should be looking for a good source of business advice, just common sense, someone who's willing to uh, dig into the details of them running their business and give them some good help, especially for entrepreneurs who may not have had 
experience running a business mm-hmm. previously. They might not understand how to read financial statements. Oftentimes folks are good at, it's like Deborah said, they're good at what they're good at doing. And the the aspects of running a business that include looking at your numbers and managing off your numbers, that's not necessarily their strong suit or even their interest. So having that go-to person who is involved in that with you and will guide you through that, I, th- I think that's uh, something that CPAs should be interested in doing for their clients and and hopefully our clients are also reaching back out to us for that help yeah do you help them set up accounting systems and that type of thing i do sometimes um sometimes they they already have those in place but to the extent that that's necessary i can get them hooked up with the right folks to get one started or to give them advice on how to run it or you know have a third party entirely run that for them so Mm -hmm. they get the numbers they have access to the numbers but they are not handling them on a day day basis and that frees them up to go do what it is they do what do you say to the small business owner that uh comes into your office at april 14th <laughs> with nobody all does that joe get out <laughs> <laughs> with no. all their uh with all their uh, business receipts and they say well i gotta do my taxes what uh, how do you help someone like that what do you tell them oh wow joe i love that question uh hopefully i'll answer it well so that close to a filing deadline, there's really not a lot I can do. I would tell them, first of all, we're going to extend your tax return. And I'm assuming their their returns due April 15th. There's different due dates for different types of returns. But assuming that is the day before their deadline, uh, they would just need to file an extension. And if they think they owe tax, we need to pay it in. Uh, but I, I generally have a much sooner cutoff for accepting new clients, and my current clients will uh, have already submitted their information to me by then. So uh, if, if you're thinking of waiting until April 14th to get your information to your current or to a new accountant, that might not be your best strategy. It doesn't give them enough time to, to get everything together for you. We run into that a little bit at the bank, unfortunately, plus the idea of extensions and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to ask both of you this question so you can kind of talk together, but I'll start with, with Deborah. A question I get asked a lot, um, should I be a, set up as a, sounds like you have a legal background, so should I set up as a sole proprietor? Should I be a subchapter S? Should I develop an LLC? What do you see as um, not, you know, from your perspective, and then Allison, from your perspective, what do you see as the kind of the best legal structure for, for small business people? Because I don't actually practice law, nor am I a CPA, I'm going to pass that question directly to Allison in order not to misinform people. But in general, get expert advice. Find a corporate attorney or find a CPA. That's what I tell people. I can tell them what I think it is, but they can't rely on that because that's really not my specialty or my expertise. I don't have those... um, licenses that Allison does. Okay. So uh, I defer to the experts in that case. But I will look at what they've done, and I will advise them to the um, information that I have in front of me. So um, tax returns tell us all sorts of important things, and I request that. Uh, They're much more forthcoming with a CPA, it seems. (laughs) Well, I'd, I'd love to talk about that. That's actually one of my favorite topics because okay, 
when folks are just starting out their business, there really are only a few options for them. They could have, if it's just one owner, they could have uh, operated as a sole proprietorship with no other sort of entity surrounding that business. They could operate as a single-member limited liability company. They could operate as a C-corporation or as an S-corporation. Uh, so the choices are, are few. Unfortunately, the factors that go into making that decision are quite a few, and they are affected so much by that person's long-term goals, goals that they've hopefully discussed with their financial planner, goals that they, should be, <laughs> goals that they should be discussing with their CPA um, and their corporate attorney. Their spouse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so... I, you know, it's very, very often, and, and I hate this, but it's it's so often that I'll hear someone recommend a certain form of doing business for everyone. It's, it's sort of a blanket, one-size-fits-all, and that most certainly is not the case. Even though there's only a few choices, what someone should choose is dependent on their income levels, the industry they're in, the kind of activity that they're operating through their business. Uh, like I said, their long-term financial goals, their short-term financial goals, how they need to get access to capital. They're, the questions just go on that you need to ask your clients to give them the best advice on how they should form their business. Um, let me, Deborah, people consult you before they start their business? In most cases, only if they are a current client. So um, occasionally I will have people who might have heard me speak at a networking function or in general conversation ask that question. Mm -hmm. And I'll answer like I did to you a moment ago. You need an expert. Mm -hmm. You need somebody that's going to look at the current laws because I was in legal over 15 years ago. A few things have changed since mm -hmm. then, mm -hmm. so I always defer to experts that are current. Okay. Um, now you get involved even before the business is started, though. So you're you, you get started with individuals, even with their they're in corporate world or whatever. So you you start early with the person, don't you? I can. Yeah. Yes. And so, sooner the better, I would guess. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Sooner the better. Yeah. And I do need to see documentation. They. A lot of times people will believe that they have um, a certain reality and they'll tell me my income is this or my uh, return was that. And I look at their statements and uh, I don't know where their figures came from, but it's not reflected <laughs> right. in the numbers <laughs> right. when I actually see them. I don't know what you're talking about. That never happens to me. Right. <laughs> now, are, does your planning affect uh, for a small business, what if it's a family business? How does that affect what the kind of plan they ought to put together? Well, a lot of times they're legacy issues that are personal because businesses, uh, if you watch Shark Tank, for example, they're all about money. They mm -hmm. really don't put emotion into it. I find that particularly small business owners care very deeply about their product and about the service and the reputation in the community and the legacy they may be leaving for family members or um, their manager that may assume the business. But uh, that is a weak link as well. Succession planning is very lacking for small business owners in my experience. Okay. I, I would second that, Deborah, for sure. It's everybody a, expects the world just to happen. I mean, everybody expects things are just going to go off without a, without a, hitch, a hitch, don't they? They do. 
they believe nothing will happen to them. And, you know, you may live to 100 and die in your sleep, but it's not very likely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Allison, I want to talk to you about the dreaded IRS. That's been all over the news. Um, have you all developed a uh, – I, I uh, deleted those emails as an excuse in an audit. Have you all used that yet? Um, well, you've been following all the laws. You've been following all the... Yeah, I know what you're talking See, about. you ought to come up with that as an excuse. I don't have everything. I lost my emails. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, not a good excuse for taxpayers or the IRS. But all right, well, let me tell you. So, so <laughs> how is the IRS these days? Are they... Uh, um, is their activity increased? Is it decreased? Are they being more crafty? Are they being nicer? What's the deal with the IRS these days? You know, I would say that without disparaging any one person or political party, I'd say that the IRS's condition just continues to worsen. You know, they, they have that brain drain going on where there's folks that have been there for a long time uh, compared to the, the folks just coming in the door, and there's not a lot in the middle to uh, to address taxpayer needs. Their funding isn't there. Um, there's currently a bill in the House to cut their funding by about a billion. Uh, yeah, their budget currently is around $10 billion and they want to bring it down to closer to nine. I know that these are these are high dollars, aren't they? Um, a billion here or there. Yeah, a billion here, a billion there. Well, you know, the national debt is at about $7 trillion, so comparatively. Right. Um, you know, so there's there's budget issues, there were funding issues, there's knowledge internal issues. Uh, you know, these days you're if, if you are in compliance, you're reporting income on your return that's getting reported to the IRS from other sources. Uh, you're not into anything shady. It's it's you know your chances of selection for audit just in general uh, are not that high. Um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times what I've seen over the past few years is when folks are under exam, the agents that come out there, um, you know, they're often great people and they're often committed to uh, good customer service with taxpayers. But they, you know, sometimes the, the exams just either take a little bit longer or they're just not as knowledgeable about the taxpayers industry. So, so there can be a little bit of difficulty. But um, my experience over the past few years is that even despite that, um, I've had uh, some pretty good success with no change audits, mm -hmm. meaning they accepted the taxpayer's return as originally filed. So, Okay. Um, Deborah, how, how often do you see some of your uh, retirement plans audited? Is that a routine occurrence these days? I actually have been fortunate that I have not experienced an audit firsthand, so um, knock on something. Really? Um, and you've yeah. been in the business for 14 years now? Well, 11 directly yeah. with um, business clients. But, uh, yeah, I have managed to, uh, I guess, fly under the radar or be so detail-oriented, nothing has piqued interest at this point. Well, okay. I, I will say that it, it helps to make sure that uh, – Good CPA firms, good financial planners, you know, good third-party administrators are helping you with all this because they're hopefully making sure you're in compliance, you know, a lot more so than a fly-by-night. And that, of course, you know, increases your chance of, as you say, flying under the radar. But if you, uh, what are some of the trigger points? Uh, I'm sure the IRS is highly automated with uh, looking at things on return. So what do you think some of the trigger points would be? The trigger points would be treating every employee the same as far as their risk tolerance, um, uh, 
having a high fee uh, product that you recommend time after time with no relation to benefits to the client um, being age inappropriate or uh, risk inappropriate, something like that. Um, failing your fiduciary standard, not notifying the employees annually of required notifications of what the retirement plan will be in the coming year. Mm-hmm. So that sort of thing, I assume, would be a great big red flag. Okay. Um, Allison, what are some of the red flags on your side? Sure. So for you know individual taxpayers that have businesses, you know, sometimes they'll get uh, 1099s to report income, a 1099 miscellaneous. And uh, if they their books and records aren't quite adequate, um, you know, it's like Deborah says, sometimes you forget what your situation is. You think, oh, I didn't make any money last year. And, you know, actually you did. And not only uh, did you receive payment, the person who paid you submitted to the IRS proof that they paid you. And if you don't report that on your return, there'll be these matchup errors. And so those generate notices for sure. And then, you know, uh, there's not necessarily a, a straw on the camel's back, but after so many notices, you, you do get on their radar to uh, to get examined at some point. I was told that uh, Schedule C is a big, um, what a big red flag for the IRS. The if you're a sole proprietor and then you register all your expenses on your Schedule C, I heard that's a big red flag. Is that still the case? You know, I. I, I would say I don't really have a good answer for that. I, you know, the the you know that that for me in my industry, that's certainly the assumption that we work under mm-hmm. is that Schedule C's are sort of out there and exposed. Uh, but they're very common. Lots of people have them. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not necessarily worth, uh, you know, incorporating a business just to avoid us. Avoid right, right. Okay. That's that's sort of like letting the tail wag the dog. So, okay. um, you know, make sure you keep good books and records. You know, if you show up to your IRS exam with a scratch piece of paper that supports your Schedule C, mm, you're probably not going to do too well. But if the information that goes in there is quality, uh, you know, then, then you have a less exposure because it you're giving them what your business is actually running uh you know if if you are showing profit that's also very helpful when you start to show losses and multiple years of losses it gets really interesting to them really quickly huh interesting um deborah let's talk about the various retirement plans Uh, you gave me something before the show and it looks like that even a small business can set up an IRA, and then as you get larger, you can get into a 401k and some things like that. So, um, absolutely, talk about IRA versus 401k versus SEP. You know those kinds of things. Sure, I'm glad to do that. Um, small businesses, when I meet with the owners and do have pertinent information about the number of employees they have, whether they expect growth in the near future. I basically will draw out a decision tree. Do you have employees? Yes or no? Um, Are your employees willing to contribute to a retirement plan? Yes or no? And depending on how we move through these various factors, I will make a recommendation based on that particular circumstance. Um, Frequently, sole proprietors will prefer a SEP or a solo 401k. A SEP is a simplified employee pension. 
And it's an easy, low-cost way for a small business owner to save for retirement. And it is tax-deferred. Um, the advantages are low setup cost and uh, low maintenance cost. Because the costs are, you'll have a custodian that will charge an annual fee. If you do invest in mutual funds, whatever those investments will cost, generally the broker-dealer will have a very low fee as well. Now, can you manage that yourself? I mean, you can manage okay. it yourself. Okay. You can go to the bank and just have a CD or just a savings account. But um, in most cases, I would recommend using mutual funds. So, What about the, four, the solo 401k? The solo 401k has a lot of similarities to a 401k for a larger company, meaning you have the ability to have loans if that is written into the plan. Um, you have the ability to have flexible contributions. So if one month your income plummeted, you could defer contributions and take them up again in the future. So the flexibility is very appealing to a sole practitioner. Okay. Um, by the way, you're listening to On the Money. This is Joe Moss, brought to you here by Embassy National Bank, and we've got a financial planner and a CPA on with us today. And we're talking. The financial planner was talking about uh, the uh, the so, what I would call the solo 401k, and the advantages therein. Um, one of the big drawbacks that I hear from people say is that uh, if I put money in a retirement plan, I can't get it back out until I'm 62 and a half or 65. So if well, I'm 59 a, and a half. So if I'm a young person, uh, what's what should I do with that? I know I want to save money, but also don't want to hold money up until I'm 59 and a half. Well, the whole concept of retirement is for when you're no longer working. So that is a long-term strategy. If you do need money now for liquidity, and you do as an emergency fund, if somebody's 20, they have no idea what's in store for them when they're 40, really. So uh, comprehensive planning takes that into account. You make sure that you have enough flexibility in liquid accounts. And in that case, they could do a brokerage account, and it could be a non-qualified plan, just their own money, their own personal savings, and not necessarily deem it for retirement. But with their goals, they could know that that is the purpose of that account. Okay. Retirement planning does defer taxes, or you could do a Roth as long as you have had a Roth account for at least five years. Um, you are able to withdraw it. But if you're f under 59 and a half, there'll be a penalty for premature withdrawal. Okay. So once you put that money in, you got to assume it's pretty much going to be there unless it serves a, a real hardship. Exactly. Okay. Um, Allison, um, I had a client, we had a client at the bank that ran afoul with uh, paying everybody through 1099, and the IRS came back and said, guess what? Mm. Those were W 2 employees. Uh, what kind of kind of advice can you give for uh, how how you can pay someone on a 1099 versus a W two? 
Okay, well, that, that's the issue of worker classification. And I actually had something similar. Uh, well, <laughs> they hadn't gotten caught by the IRS yet, but I, I did have a similar instance come up recently where a gentleman was explaining to me that uh, you know he had someone working for him and as, as an administrative person, and uh, she was full-time, didn't work anywhere else, and uh, told me a little bit more about the relationship. And I asked him about his payroll service, and he says, well, no, I don't have a payroll service. She's not an employee. She's just a contractor. And uh, we had a little bit of talk about that. And what he thought was, and I get this so often, is that, well, I, as the business owner, and this person as my worker, have decided that the the contractor route is the way we want to go. Therefore, that's what they are. Uh, but actuality, you know, the IRS decides whether someone is a contractor or an employee. And the relationship is, is not as straightforward in every context. But in most situations, it's about control. It's about behavioral control and a couple of other key control areas. But for an employee, you can control what they do, and how they do it. Yeah, so if someone has flexible hours, that's one thing. But even then, I had a, uh, a group downtown that ended up with a million-dollar fine over, over an issue Ooh. like this. The IRS loves payroll tax audits. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost of getting caught when you have a very cut-and-dry situation where you should have treated one or more people as employees, but you treated them as independent contractors mm-hmm. is pretty large. And, and I don't think we, we were specific about what the issue is, but the deal is that you know employers trying to keep their tax burden low uh, would like to not pay their share of payroll taxes and sometimes even include folks in their benefit plans. Um, And so classifying someone as an independent contractor is a cost savings. And so you can do other things with that cash. uh, But the the cost Mm -hmm. of noncompliance is very high. Um, Deborah, talk about uh, uh, key key person insurance. How critical is key? As a bank, when we make a loan, we ask to get insurance and become the beneficiary of a policy. But talk about key person insurance. Well, key person insurance covers someone who is critical to the operation of the business. The income and revenue would suffer if something happened that that person was unable to work anymore out of the picture due to a disability or... Uh, Like the patriarch or something like that. Right. The rainmaker in general. Or uh, in some cases, in, in our office, for example... Um, one of the assistants is fully licensed and has been around since 96. Mm-hmm. If something happens to her, we're, it's going to take us a while to catch up. So it would impact the company significantly. So key person insurance is to cover the life and to be able to hire someone to replace that individual and mm-hmm. keep the business going. Um, another key person concept is business overhead expense. That's another disability form of insurance. But key person is critical to having the experience of the office running smoothly or the product or service not being affected by the absence of the individual who was injured or or no longer in the picture due to death. Yeah, because a lot of the you know, as a as a banker, we'll lend money to uh, an organization, and there are two people that run it. And um, if one of them passes away, the family's not taken care of, and uh, we're sat there sit there with the debt. Uh, 
and you know we are a beneficiary of the estate of that deceased person so we we always encourage them to take out uh, insurance and and you probably do the same exactly because otherwise you would have to stand in line behind all the other creditors in an estate so mm-hmm. uh, and wait nine months to uh, to settle that claim okay um Allison, what do you see as the number one mistake? Give me that a small business person can make on their taxes. Hmm, I think that's a great question, Joe. For for some small businesses, uh, especially if they're not well capitalized when they first start off, they're trying to cut costs. And, or save money, you know, however you look at it, in any way they can. And so sometimes the advice they get is um, it's what they can pay for. And as we all know, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. So some of what I've seen over the years when I pick up a new client and I look back at some of the returns they filed previously, um, a lot of the issues that I see have come out of um, just not – not having spent the time to vet uh, qualified advisors mm-hmm. and not having spent the money to to secure those folks and to pay them for their advice. And what comes out of that generally, uh, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily any one thing. It's just a tax return that I look at and I think kind of goes back to the question before. I think if I were the IRS, I, I would have been interested in this. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe schedules are missing or information that should be reported isn't reported or you, you just can't quite make the return make sense. So it sometimes it's just that quality in general that's sort of lacking for folks that are just starting out. Have you, has your business, or how does your business affected by these uh, online taxes like TurboTax, for example? Um, are, are you affected by that, or is that just uh, another choice for somebody? Uh, no, it's sort of like, you know, if you, you want to go grocery shopping, you know, uh, Walmart's an option, Kroger's an option, Publix is an option, Whole Foods is an option, Trader Joe's is an option. So they serve different markets and mm-hmm. different needs. Um, if you can do your return on TurboTax and you get good results from it, you're probably not an ideal client for me. And you probably don't need the knowledge that I have in my head. Uh, most business owners can't and don't have the time to do their own tax returns, and I discourage them from that. I think TurboTax is, uh, or, or, you know, other online account uh, tax softwares uh, made for individual taxpayers, I think I think those can be very great resources mm-hmm. and cost-effective resources for folks who have the ability and time and comfort level to complete their own tax filings. Um, but for folks that are running a business, that's, even even if they don't have a separate business tax filing and, and they file a Schedule C, um, that's still enough of a a little bit of um, a confusion for most people. And you know, hopefully, they want to get those right, and that's when they should be seeking the advice of a tax professional. Okay, Deborah, what do you see of one of the some of the larger mistakes that a small business makes, either in retirement planning or insurance or whatever? The largest mistake is trying to do payroll themselves hmm. and Amen. not knowing what they're doing Amen. and goofing up everything <laughs> that affects everything else. So um, they should hire a service and have access to being compliant, have access to the convenience, and it ultimately will save them money. Yeah, you know, every once in a while you hear a story about uh, 
people funding the business out of their not not paying their 941 taxes and that's that'll get you put in jail yes those can lead to criminal penalties yes yeah Mm -hmm. right um talk uh deborah talk about um the uh i guess you what would you call it before um not hazard insurance but disability insurance how hard is that to get is it expensive it depends on age and health, just like uh, any other insurance. It's underwritten, and insurance companies do not like to pay claims, so they price it so that um, your health is a factor, your job is a factor. Um, coverage for a roofer is not as available as it is for an accountant mm-hmm. because there's much more risk of uh, climbing on a roof and having gravity take over. So um, there are different factors. It has to be medically underwritten. Okay. And, and group well, disability is less expensive than individual. Well, how does that work on the back end? Let's say someone uh, receives disability insurance, and let's say that uh, he owns a roofing company, but he says, I don't spend any time on the roof, and then he hurts himself by falling off a roof. Can the company come back in and say, well, wait a minute, you said you don't spend any time on a roof, and here you were on a roof. We're not going to pay this thing? Of course, it depends on what the policy says, because there are some um, companies that will take on extra risk, because in general, police officers, military, roofers, sort of things that are high risk, a general company does not offer them coverage okay but there are some high-risk specialty uh companies that they can go to for coverage yeah i've seen some pretty staggering percentages of the of the percentage of people that will have a disability over their working career and what is that number these days something like 32 percent of 30 year olds yeah during the course of their working life by the time they're 65 will at some point be out of work due to an illness or an accident. And that could be anything from a lot of people never anticipate uh, chemotherapy for mm-hmm. cancer. It makes them weaker. It uh, makes them lose focus. It makes them likely to have other problems like pneumonia. So they're out of work mm-hmm. and they miss months at a time. People don't anticipate that. And, of course, automobile accidents in Atlanta in particular. That's often a uh, disabling occurrence. Now, you can get a uh, – does the umbrella policy on an on a auto insurance policy help with that? Or is that something uh, that just covers you in case someone sues you? When you're talking about umbrella – and, by the way, I'm not PNC licensed, so okay. I'm not an All expert right. well, in we'll property and casualty. Okay. But um, in general, uh, in the event that you caused an automobile accident, your PNC agent can Mm -hmm. tell you what's covered um, and whether you have an insured motorist or whatever else is involved. Okay, but that may not. But that conversation should be directed to a property and casualty expert. But if you're injured in an auto accident that makes you disabled, your company should worry about being covered on that in addition to whatever auto policy you have, I would think. So you are saying that the person was in the course and scope of employment and it possibly no, would be No, I'm just thinking of the small business owner that thinks they have an auto insurance policy. And so they think, well, if I get in a wreck and I'm hurt, 
I'll be covered by that, and I don't have to worry about the business side of it. But the fact of the matter is they're probably not covered, and they need to do something about the... Uh, if you own a business, you should talk to your agent about an umbrella policy, about appropriate coverages for all of your assets. Yeah, yeah. So, because the foundation of uh, planning is to protect your assets and grow them yeah. and be a good steward and leave a legacy. So uh, insurance is the foundation of that. Um, Allison, uh, with the deficit, I guess the deficit is under control, but only because tax revenues have gone up. <laughs> so with our debt just spiraling out of control, uh, it seems like, uh, where, where do you see tax rates? How can a small business owner protect themselves? Um, okay, so so I get the question a lot, Joe. You know, in the future, do you see tax rates going up, tax rates going down? And folks are asking that, but behind that, what they're really asking is, you know, am I going to be paying more taxes in the future, which is not just a function of the rates, but it's also a function of their levels of taxable income, mm -hmm. their sources of income. Uh, if the government decides to make any changes to uh, add new taxes or to uh, consider something that wasn't taxable income is currently taxable income. So it's, it's a function of so many different things. It's pretty hard to predict more than 12 months out, more than into the next year, what someone's tax situation might be. A lot of that just kind of goes back to looking out at different economic and political forecasts. Mm -hmm. And you as the taxpayer, you you as the client saying, what do I make of this? And having that conversation with your uh, tax advisor and your financial planner to say, okay, you know, in retirement, which I think should be an X number of years, I need to live off of this amount. Can we back into and reverse engineer how much I need to be bringing in now and saving and set aside now and how to allocate those assets and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, we all see and have access to the same set of facts and the same set of reports from the same sources. Uh, but whether you perceive it to be a positive sign that overall tax burdens will go down in the future or that they'll go up is, you know, dependent on each of us, really. Um, all right. We've uh, just about run out of time. So I'm going to um, let our two guests uh, kind of have a uh, concluding paragraph here, I guess, would be advice for a small business person. So, Deborah, what if you ran into a small business person on the elevator, what would you tell them? If they ask my opinion, I would tell them <laughs> to <laughs> see an expert and to bring your documents because people think that um, withholding information that we'll be able to use a crystal ball. Um, the documents are what we need to make an accurate conclusion about the situation and to give good advice. So we really do need to understand the details. Okay. Otherwise, it's just general, and they might as well just uh, you know listen to Clark Howard and Susie Orman and, and not even speak to us. I understand. So. Um, Allison, what would you tell someone? I would say the same thing Deborah said, and I, my own spin on it is that uh, there's folks that will give you blanket advice, and, you know, that, that might be good for the masses, but it's sort of like going into the store and trying on a pair of jeans that are supposed to fit everyone and fit no one. So, you know, it, there's no it's great for folks to go out there and research on their own, um, but information isn't knowledge. 
And it always behooves a small business owner to reach out to qualified individuals who can sit down and have real meaningful conversations and really understand their goals and their situation. And um, as Deborah said, look at the documents. For her, it might be... um, you know, something from their brokerage account or a W-2. For me, it's a, it's a good set of financial statements, perhaps, or prior year tax return. And we, we do need those. And um, so be careful of anyone who gives blanket tax advice for yeah. everyone. One size doesn't fit all. And, uh, and we need to know, uh, you know, do you have how many kids you have, mm-hmm. how many spouses mm-hmm. do you have? We need to know a, the details. Do you have yes. a farm in the country and a condo in the city and all the details? Mm-hmm. Because those uh, generalities won't apply with all the n- new details. And circumstances do change. People need to be ready to update. Okay. Yeah, they change can change daily, can't they? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I let people know, and uh, we'll conclude on this, is that um, – um, Small business kind of has a connotation that uh, since you're small, you don't have to worry about what big businesses worry about, but you do. You got to worry about taxes. You got to worry about planning. You got to worry about the future. You got to worry about what happens if if the uh, unforecasted happens. So um, small businesses, you know, basically to me that just refers to the fact that you may not have the kind of revenues that a big company has, but you've got all the same issues, and that's the cost of doing business. You got to you got to get them covered. you got to get them covered. So true, Joe. And hire the professional and leverage yourself for what you're good at. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, Deborah, thank you so much for being here. It's Deborah Scott from uh, Vining Financial Services. My pleasure. And uh, how can they get a hold of you? What's the best uh, phone number to call? The phone number of the office is 770-971-971. 9141. Okay, good. And my email is probably the best way to find me directly. Debra, D-E-B-R-A, Scott, S-C-O-T-T, at ViningFinancial.com. That's V like Victor. I like Ingrid. N like Neil. I like Ingrid. N like Neil. G like Ginger. Financial.com. Okay, good. And Allison, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, they can check me out on my website. Uh, all my contact information is there. That website is mcleod-cpa.com. Yeah, that's dash, not an underscore. Correct. Thanks, and, Joe. And uh, you can be your office number, what, 678-923-5314. You betcha. Okay, good. Well, thanks, ladies, for being on. And, Thank you, Joe. Um, I would encourage uh, all you small business people to uh, take all this advice because it'll be money well worth spent when you are 20 years uh, 20 years from now and you've had all the success that you thought you would have. So that concludes the session for the day. This is Joe Moss of On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and uh, we'll see you next week. And be careful out there. <laughs>